job coming to the comedy and music show, everybody. Good job. This is live entertainment. This is fun. Thanks for taking a break from Netflix. Uh, I, I love Netflix, but some of the shows are a little confusing to me. I was going to watch Orange is the New Black, but I was a little misled as to what that show was about. I thought it was going to be a documentary series about when Trump wanted to replace Obama in the White House. And welcome in to another episode of the Dramatic Comedy Podcast. That opening was a joke I told at a show back in January of 2019 at the Falls Event Center here in St. George, Utah. That's always a solid joke to open with, but that joke, like so many jokes, have a little bit of a time frame. So it's going to run out of steam here, so I thought, what better way to start off my podcast than let's just share a clip of that, giving you guys a laugh right off of the bat. If you know me well enough, you've heard that joke probably a hundred times, but uh, I do love that clip of, of that joke. That was a hot crowd that night. That was a hot crowd. They were laughing. They were into it. That was my first joke of the night, and... And uh, as you tell, the, the crowd was there. It was, it was a hot night. That's when I was opening up for the great Toby Hicks, who's been seen on The Late Show with Jay Leno and uh, a few other places. So uh, anyways, here we go. It's been a couple weeks since I last recorded. Um, some exciting things to announce. One, as you know, I've had uh, Valerie Delroy on this podcast before she sets up the electric comedy nights uh last weekend she just had a very successful weekend here she had one show at the electric theater and one show out in hilldale at a new resort they have out there and and from what i could tell it went well it sold out everyone had a good time she's doing good things for the comedy community here in southern utah she's going to have a show on uh, saturday october 10th at the electric theater comedians are yet to be named but that should be a good show. And then another show at the Electric Theater coming up in November. The Saturday after Thanksgiving, Saturday, November 28th, is there, there is a comedy show at the Electric Comedy Night. And I will be on that ticket. I will, I will be one of the openers in that show. Uh, not sure who the headliners are. But the tickets and, and all the other information will be available mid-October, and I'll keep you posted as we get closer to that. Uh, so yeah, new stuff happening in the world of comedy here in the world of Southern Utah. Really excited about that opportunity to, to get back on the stage. And hey, the election will be done by then. Uh, so there's that. Some people think that the pandemic will be done after the election is done. Conspiracy theorists. Just so you know, whenever I meet a conspiracy theorist, I instantly feel better knowing that I sleep better than they do. I'm not even going to say what they say is wrong. I just... How does anyone rest with all those conspiracy theories going in their head? Here's my stance on conspiracy theories. Let's... let's any conspiracy theory you can think of, whether it's something to do with 9-11 or the pandemic or the government or whatever. Even if all of that is true. If there's aliens on the earth, I still have to go to work the next day. That's what Louis C.K. said, right? Still have to go to work the next day. Yep, that's exactly right. 
That is exactly right. So I just, I don't have time. Even if the conspiracy theories are true, talking about it clearly isn't changing anything. And I'm still in the same tax bracket I am, whether those conspiracies are true or not. So I'm not going to waste my energy on that. Anyways, um, speaking of the election, um, someone asked me the other day why I don't do a lot of political humor in my comedy, because I don't. That Trump joke that started this episode, it's about the only political joke I have. It's about the only political joke I'm going to touch, and here's why. Uh, There's no way to do a political joke against one side or the other without pissing someone off. It's going to eliminate a portion of your audience. Now, I'm in a small town in southern Utah. It's very Republican. I could probably kill most of a crowd with Democrat jokes. But there's going to be Democrats in the audience. Why would I want to uh, eliminate even the smallest portion of a crowd uh, that's coming in? So uh, I'm not ever going to do political humor. If I hear a political joke, it has to be really funny for me to want to laugh at. Only one comedian I know who does constant political humor actually makes me laugh, and that's Lewis Black. And he will attack both sides and he'll attack both sides equally hard, but it's it's remarkable the way he does it. Uh, I'm never going to be Lewis Black. Don't want to be Lewis Black. That's Lewis Black's territory. Good, good for him. Uh, but I won't touch political humor. All right. Um, this intro has gone on long enough. Five minutes, right? So let's get into today's episode. Uh, today's episode is uh, an interesting topic. It's one that I think is important to talk about, but people are too scared to talk about. And I'll be playing a couple of clips from from some comedians along the way. And the reason I'm going to play these clips is this is Dramatic Comedy Podcast. We talk about dramatic things and then we laugh. I don't always have the right words to say to make something funny. And I have found these clips kind of lighten the mood on this subject. So today... We're going to talk about something that's a little bit heavy. Um, I'm not going to claim to be an expert on anything. I'm just going to talk about my own experience dealing with this topic. And uh, hopefully what I have to say can can reach or touch or at least interest you for, for the few minutes that we talk about it. And then the clips that we play will also make you laugh regarding the matter. So uh, let's dive right into this. I love being from a screwed up family, man. We have everything in my family. Prescription drug abuse, mental illness. One of my uncles is a Mormon. (laughs) (laughs) And people get so weird about mental illness. It's like anything else. You follow the rules. You don't put a heart patient on a roller coaster. You don't put a mental patient on a hunting trip with you. (laughs) So I grab a Newsweek out of magazine stowage. And I sit in my seat and I'm just hiding behind this Newsweek, you know, and I'm not looking at it. I'm just flipping through it. I just don't want to talk. I'm just flipping through the Newsweek. And I stop on an article titled Mental Illness. Genetic? I have an excuse. 
No better way to bring up the topic of mental illness than having the great Christopher Titus uh, enlighten us with some humor. Christopher Titus is easily uh, the greatest stage performer comedian I've ever seen. I've seen him perform, I think, three times. Never seen him tell the same joke twice. Every single time I've seen him, it's been an hour and a half show. I've met him a couple times, and when I was first getting into comedy, it's the first time I saw him. And I asked him for advice, and he talked to me for a few minutes, talking to me about uh, just getting on stage and doing it. One of the nicest people I've ever met, and uh, everyone should get to know more about Christopher Titus. Christopher Titus, when it comes to mental illness, has a lot to say on the subject. His mom was a, a alcoholic, schizophrenic, um, manic depressive, I think is what they called it. She shot and killed herself. He had a sister kill herself. His dad was an alcoholic. Uh, he's he struggled with his own bouts of depression and suicidal thoughts. So uh, I feel like it was appropriate to have him kind of introduce this topic that we're going to be talking about today, mental illness. Now, uh, again, I'm not going to sit here and be an expert on it. I can only speak from my own experience with what what I would consider somewhat of a mental illness, excuse me. I know there are the skeptics out there that say mental illness isn't a thing or depression isn't a thing, anxiety isn't a thing. Um, I disagree. I think it's a very real thing. I've had my own bouts with it and I've seen other people be borderline paralyzed with it. So we're going to talk a little bit about mental illness uh, today. And at least just from what I've had the experience with. Now, uh, before we get in, I want to talk about something. So I just watched this documentary on Netflix, okay? So in 1986, in January of 1986, the United States space program was getting ready to launch their shuttle launch for the Space Shuttle Challenger. They had a teacher and a scientist. They were, this was a big deal, okay? This was a, this was a really big deal. And the whole country sat around the TV and watched because on a Tuesday morning there in 1986, and uh, they sat down to watch the space shuttle launch as, as what was custom back then. And 60 seconds into the launch, the space shuttle Challenger exploded, killing all seven passengers on board. There's this new four-part series documentary on Netflix. It's very fascinating. It exploded, killing everyone instantly on live national TV. And the whole world kind of stopped because everyone just wanted to know what happened. Everything seemed to be going good. Everything seemed to be going exciting. Everything seemed to be on track. And then all of a sudden, in an instant, there was this national tragedy. It was this national tragedy that everyone saw happened, and yet no one knew what was happening. They just wanted to know what happened. Well, as you watch this documentary, you realize that three years before the launch even happened, the engineers in Promontory, Utah, where the rockets were tested back then, had suggested to NASA, NASA that the parts weren't ready. There was a problem with the O-rings within the rocket that struggled in cold weather that they kept failing. And essentially, 
there was this big discussion and this big debate whether or not to go through with the launch or if they should, you know, wait, wait till there was warmer weather, wait till they could uh, engineer a new O-ring to, to prevent the explosion from happening. And then the engineers told NASA, say, hey, this isn't ready. We, we shouldn't do it. We're advising against this. And NASA was so concerned about getting this shuttle launched on time that they more or less put pressure on these guys to, to okay it. And they did. And then as time went on, problem never got fixed because no one was listening. No one was paying attention. No one wanted to accept the answers for what was really happening. And so three years later, during launch, of course, 60 seconds later, kaboom. Tragedy strikes, right? So how does this tie in? Well, you think about mental illness with bouts of depression, anxiety, whatever it is, suicidal thoughts. When tragedy does happen, everyone wants just, just wants to know what happened. Or even on a more personal level, you want to know, if you're going through depression or anxiety, how you ended up at this level. And what people see from the outside, or sometimes what we see of ourselves, is that we notice it all at once and we want to know what happened. We think maybe it's something instant. But really where the tragedy begins is long before, and it's a series of things added up and mistakes that that we internally either don't want to recognize or don't acknowledge either in ourselves or in someone else. And it builds up and, and by the time we know something's wrong, it's, it's in a really bad situation. Um, or we just don't recognize it. But I think a lot of the time, at least in, in my mind, from, from my standpoints, from my story, which I'll share, I just, I had all the information, I knew what had gone wrong, but I just didn't want to believe it was true. So, uh, as many of you know from past episodes, I've, I've made mention that there was a time in my life that I lived in my car. In 2015, I had gotten let go from a job that I had had for a few years, though I was making pretty good money. And rather than get a new job, I lived off of the savings that I had acquired. And once that ran out, rather than getting a job and going to fix the problem, I decided rather than get evicted, I would fit what I could in my car. And I would just sleep there for what's supposed to be just a couple weeks till I found a new job and got a new apartment. Well, two weeks turned into four weeks, then two months. Then before I know it, it was winter time. Then it was a year. I was living off of money I was getting while donating plasma. I was showering at whatever gym I could get a free trial at. And my clothes just smelt like my morning breath. And that's how I lived for the better part of a year and a half. And there were nights in the car where it would be thunder and lightning scary outside. And all I could think was, how did I get here? What is wrong with me? Where did, what happened? You know, I was, I was 28, 29 years old when all this was going on. I wasn't, I wasn't a kid. I was 28, 29 years old 
living in my car on stormy nights wondering what happened. And it was a, it was a, it was quite a journey. There was a moment during that time because when you live in your car, you have a lot of free time, especially if you're not job hunting, that you watch a lot of Netflix. You watch a lot of YouTube videos. One of the videos that was on at the time was this documentary called The Bridge. Okay? The Bridge is about the uh, Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, and it's a documentary about all the people who go to the bridge to jump off it as a means of killing themselves. Okay, so the video, the way they film it, or the way they did it, is they set cameras up around the bridge and filmed it straight for like 450 days, never turning their cameras off. And in a span of 450 days, they catch people jumping off the bridge to their death. The documentary is very graphic. I don't recommend anyone watches it. Two minutes into the documentary, it's just kind of showing the water and people walking across the bridge, and then all of a sudden, you show, it shows people starting to climb up over the rail, and then all of a sudden, there's a guy in a t turquoise shirt who climbs up on the rail, gets his feet on the other side, and he jumps, and it follows him all the way down to the water. And as I describe that, I don't know if you're saying to yourself that that seems like it's a, a terrifying thing or a sad thing to watch, but... Here's what scared me, is the moment I saw that guy in that turquoise shirt jump, and it followed him all the way down to the water, and the moment you, he hits the water, you know he's dead. The moment I saw that, I wasn't scared. I wasn't worried. I wasn't traumatized with what I just saw. There was a certain level of comfort with that idea. That you jump, and within a few seconds, all the pain and your problems go away. That was a moment where I thought that might be a way out. That maybe I should save enough money, drive to San Francisco, and that could be it. By the way, this is like as recently as 2016 that all this happened. That that moment happened where I was watching this. This wasn't a long time ago, okay? So it's still fresh. You don't live in your car... And watch someone jump off a bridge to kill themselves and find comfort in that if you're well adjusted. That is a mental illness that I was battling at that time. Now fortunately, at that same time, it kind of scared me enough that I knew I needed to make choices, better choices, and resolve some things. And I knew it was going to be a painful process and I was too scared to make the necessary changes. And ironically enough, at that around this time is also when I met my wife, Kristen. We started talking, and I didn't tell her anything that was going on in my life. She didn't know I was living in my car till after we had known each other for about 10 months. And then it came out, and she more or less caught me. But that, as hard as that was to get caught in that moment, was the best thing that's ever happened to me. Any right person in their mind should have probably ran away from me as soon as I know that. In my mind. That's what I see. I see someone should have just ran away from the kind of person I was being. She stuck with me. She sat me down one night, had me look at myself in the mirror and tell myself that I love myself. And in the moment I was able to do that, that's where I started this really long journey of, of really wanting to make changes to, to get better. And I did. I went to counseling for a little bit. So much of my 
anxiety or depression, whatever you want to call it, were these lies that I had built up in my head trying to live up to these images that I perceived people had of me, which no one did. It was all just this anxiety. And it took a long time, and there's still bouts of it that I still fight every day. And I, it took a long time to kind of pull myself out of that hole, but, but I've done it. And I still, it's still an uphill climb. And, and depression, anxiety will probably always be there for me. I don't know if it ever goes away. I think anyone in their right mind, anyone who's honest with themselves can look at themselves and think of a time in their life where they probably battled some sort of depression or anxiety or mental illness. So I tell you my story, which took place in between 2015 and the first part of 2017. Where did all that begin? It didn't begin the moment I started to live in my car. It began a long time before that. The moment I can pin it back to, and it probably goes further back even further than this, but if you've listened to my first episode in uh, my first interview I did on the first episode of this podcast with Austin, where we both talked about living in our cars, there was a split moment in my life I can kind of trace everything back to, but again, it still could go back further. Uh, On May 28th, 2003, as you've heard in other episodes of this is the night my mom died okay it was the end of my sophomore year of high school I was three months away from turning 17 I had come home from the sticks concert I got on the phone with my dad and he said Chase your mom died and I hit the floor and in that moment in that moment my thoughts were angry they were sad it was terrifying but the biggest thing I remember feeling was I don't want to be one of those kids. I don't want to be a kid whose mom died that everyone's too scared of. I want to be normal. I need to be normal. I want to be normal. I didn't deal with anything right there. There was this perception that I had of kids who's had a death in their family that no one knows how to act around people who's lost someone. And I didn't want to be one of those people. So my, at the age of 16, started wanting to living up to this perception of normal that I thought everyone had. So in my mind later on, when I'm running short on funds, rather than asking for help or finding a job, it's not normal to need help. I'm just going to go live in my car. It's not normal to ask for help or, or anything. I'm just going to live in my car, stay out of everyone's way. And when I go around people, I'll just put on a smiling face and they'll think everything's fine. That was the trend I had been building on since the age of 16. That's what causes my depression or my anxiety or my mental illness. Again, this is all heavy topic. I know you listen to this for like an escape, but I think it's important because it's an important topic to talk about because people are too scared or weirded out by this topic and it needs to be talked about. The most important thing I ever did for my depression was talk about it. I found my wife, talked to her about it. We talked about it a lot, almost every day. Sometimes it would cause fights, but I was talking about it. So much of depression and anxiety are the things that aren't being said. If you are going through anything that is depressing or anxiety, or you feel a mental illness or suicidal, you need to find someone just to talk to about it. And just getting it out loud of your head 
helps so much and it helps give you clarity and it forces you to become present. Jim Carrey talks about how depression and anxiety is time travel. You're either so worried about something in the past or something in the future, something that you have no control of. If you can focus your mind to be present right now in this moment, it's much easier to avoid the depression and the anxieties. So again, I'm not an expert on any of this. I don't have the answers. If there was a straight answer for everyone, then the world would be a lot happier. There's not an answer. That's what's hard. It's going to be different for everyone. What worked for me is not going to work for everyone else. But I do believe that talking about it helps more often and, and, and helps on a bigger scale than not. So even if you know someone who you're worried about, even if it's an answer you're scared of getting, it's important that you acknowledge it and you talk about it. NASA didn't want to believe the answers that the engineers were giving them and tragedy happened. You're not going to want to believe everything your brain tells you. Sometimes it's important to listen. You're not going to want to believe everything your friend tells you. It's important to listen to avoid the tragedy. So again, all right, I've talked about this for it's been 17 minutes since I've started this segment. So I'm going to wrap things up here, but I hope you're able to take something from this today. Now, we are going to end on a lighthearted note. In the introduction, I talked about Lewis Black. Lewis Black makes me laugh, and he talked about mental illness in one of his specials that came out in 2017. So as the outro goes, you're going to listen to Lewis Black give his stance on uh, mental illness. So anyways, again, I don't have a solution. Just know that there is hope. Talk about your stuff, and uh, it'll, it'll help avoid a lot of pain. So... Alright guys, thanks for listening. Here's Lewis Black closing it out, hoping to uh, make you laugh from some of this heaviness. If you don't think we have a problem with mental illness, I need you to take a good long look at Congress. <laughs> that is the largest outpatient clinic in the world. And we pay for their health insurance. I think that every one of us, just after this year, is slightly mentally ill. I believe that. If, you know, you can see it all the time. I, you pick up the paper. I read, uh, you know, a while back that um, $640 million was spent by Americans purchasing Valentine's Day gifts for pets. Okay, that's, that's the signs, something's fucking wrong. Stink muffin and farty lick, don't give a shit. Okay? They don't have a calendar. They're not waiting by the door going, oh boy, I can't wait to see what they got me. You've lost touch with reality, fucker. If any of Day gift for your pet. You have to get counseling for at least an hour next week. <laughs> the only time, the only time you can purchase a, a, a Valentine's Day gift for your pet is let's say uh, you're fucking your cockatoo. <laughs> then I think. You should really get it something nice.